I have generally a problem with authority. <laughs> and so that may not be news to you. I don't know. But to me, they just kind of come across authority sometimes comes across just as Mr. or Mrs. Bossy Pants, <laughs> hence the name of the series. They're just being a bossy pants. And I, and I, I want to do, I have this desire to do what I want to do all the time. And so if I walk onto someone else's private property and they tell me I need to wear a mask, well, just on the inside, I just kind of rear up, you know, on the inside. I may not say anything, but on the inside, I'm like, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want you to tell me what I have to do. And yeah, I understand I'm on your property and really you have the right to tell me what to do, but I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And I really don't want to have to answer to anyone. Ah, speed limit, schmeed limit. Right? Just let me drive. Sometimes I think that Mr. or Mrs. Bossy Pants, and I think to myself about them, well, they're just getting a little too big for their britches, Mr. Bossy Pants. I don't have to listen to them. Why should I have to listen to them? So sometimes I have the tendency to just simply ignore an authority. Sometimes I have a tendency to just outright reject it. Or this is one I can easily fall into the trap of, and that's just kind of twisting what they have said just enough so I can still do what I want to do the way I want to do it when I want to do it. So I just kind of twist it so I can get the outcome that I want because that's, you know, that works for me. Or I might just listen to what they say and then I'm looking for loopholes of, okay, so they didn't really say this though, so I'm, I'm still looking for a way to get my way. I also have this tendency. I know you, you have one screwed up pastor. I, I, I realize that. I have this tendency too. Sometimes I will just avoid an authority so that they don't have the opportunity to tell me what to do <laughs> or to tell me what I don't want to hear. So I'll just ignore them. I mean, I'll just, I'm sorry, I'll just avoid them because after all, ignorance is bliss, I sometimes think. And then I start thinking, I scratch my head. I'm like, okay, so really what's so special about them anyway? I mean, why do they get to be the authority? And then I start thinking about beyond just me and my immediate world or circumstances. And I think, you know, somewhere out there in this great big world, somewhere in some country, somewhere out there, is there some kind of ultimate authority who's over all those other authorities? Some authority out there, maybe in another country, I would hate that in my head because I want everything to be here but some authority that rises above all other authorities. All right, now I want to hit pause for just a moment. I want to ask the question, who gets to be that authority? Is it perhaps uh, the strongest person in the world that exists? Do they get to be that authority? So I think to myself, well, Hitler was one of those authorities. He had the largest uh, in that area, the, the most powerful army. And, and, and so he was the strongest. And so does he get to be the ultimate authority? And I think, well, today, today, who would that be today? And we don't have someone off the rails like that today, but today we as a nation are the strongest nation in the world with the largest military. And the person who's in charge of that military is the president of the United States. So is that president of the United States, whomever it is at any given time, is that the ultimate authority, that person? And I got to thinking, well, maybe, maybe it's the smartest person if it's not the strongest. Maybe it's the smartest person in the world that gets to be the ultimate, the ultimate authority. So I, I, I have uh, for you on the screen, uh, this is, uh, you can't really read it, but just trust me, this so far has been an unsolvable math problem. Unsolvable. No one has solved it. If you can solve this math problem, they will, the powers that be, they will give you a million dollars. There you go right there. Just take that home and go solve it. 
they will give you a million. In fact, there's about seven other problems just like that. If you solve any of those math problems, they'll give you a million dollars because they really want them solved. They're unsolved. So maybe the smartest person. You know, Einstein, and uh, who's that other really, really, really smart guy? Einstein, um, uh, Hawkins. They couldn't solve it. But if you solve it, maybe you should be the ultimate authority. Or maybe it's the person with the highest IQ. Maybe they should be the ultimate authority, the highest IQ. There's this guy named A.D. DeMello. His estimated IQ is 400. He graduated college at the age of 11. Uh, he then uh, eventually ended up working for Home Depot. Um, wearing one of those aprons, which nothing wrong with that because I ask all of those guys questions because I have no answers when I go to Home Depot. But listen, he has an IQ of 400. Maybe he should be the ultimate authority. I mean, that would, might make some sense. Really smart guy. If not him, maybe it should be um, the person or, no, no, let's go with a group of people, uh, the political party that you like. Maybe the political party that you support, maybe that should be the ultimate authority, perhaps. But here's part of the problem with that. We only acknowledge their authority as a political party um, if they win the election, number one. And then number two, if we agree with them. <laughs> that seems to be a problem. So if we don't agree with them, we don't want them to be the ultimate authority, right? But if you do, then maybe you do want them to be. Or here's another one. Let's go back to an individual. What about the oldest person who's alive today? Now, since evidently they have some kind of great genes and they must be very healthy, maybe that person should be the ultimate authority. And the oldest person alive today at this moment, I don't know how to pronounce the name. I'm going to guess it's Kane Tanaka, and she is 118 years old, and she lives right now in Japan. Maybe because she is the oldest and she is apparently has been the most healthy, maybe she should be the ultimate authority. I've left out one category that's kind of the obvious. This makes sense. What about the wealthiest person? Maybe they should be the ultimate authority. Now, there's two guys right now. They kind of duke it out, um, and you can watch this live if you're interested. Of course, the stock market's closed today. But while the stock market is open, it changes between this guy, Jeff Bezos. He's the guy that owns Amazon.com. He will either be the wealthiest or it'll be the, right, the guy right there below him. So Jeff Bezos, evidently, he knows a lot about buying things. Maybe he could help our debt. I don't know. He'd buy some more things. Um, Jeff Bezos, Amazon.com, knows a lot about shopping online. Maybe he should be the ultimate authority. It's either going to be him as the wealthiest person in the world when you look at it live online as the stock market's open. It just bounces back and forth between the two. Or the other guy is Bernard Annault. Now, I don't know this guy. I've never met him. I've never met Jeff either. But Bernard, maybe he's equipped to be the ultimate authority because apparently Mr. Bernard knows a lot about fashion. He is the wealthiest or second wealthiest because he knows a lot about fashion, fashion design, and evidently selling fashion to a lot of people like us. And so um, maybe he should be the ultimate authority, one of these two guys, because they're the wealthiest. Is that who it should be? And if none of these people, then the question is, who then should be the ultimate authority? But here's, I think, where we usually end up with this. Usually, we decide it's the person that we choose for ourselves. And along those lines, it's going to be the person that we happen to agree with. They should be the ultimate authority, and I like everything they say. So we pick our own ultimate authority. Everyone chooses for themselves. That's how we operate right now. And so with seven, over 7 billion people on the planet alive right now, we could very literally have 
seven billion different answers for the question, who is the ultimate authority? Now, think about this. When we think that we get to choose this answer for ourselves, think with me for just a moment. Let's extrapolate this out. What does that mean? As long as we think that we get to choose that answer for ourselves, we will only submit to someone we agree with because they agree with us the way we think things should be. And that makes, in that decision process, that means that I think I'm the smartest person in the world. I'm the wisest person in the world because after all, I know what's best for me and I obviously, I know what's best for everyone else in the world. So honestly, who really is? I know I'm not the smartest. I know that. I know I'm not the best choice. So who really is the ultimate authority and how do we decide who that ultimate authority is? Now I want to hit pause. I hit pause too early a moment ago. This is the real pause. We're going to hit pause. We're going to change directions completely for just a moment. Um, I brought with me some paintings. They're not fabulous, but they are paintings. And I did them. We've got a painting here. I could tell you the whole story. It'll take too long. This is my rendition of Jonathan out of the Bible. There's more to the story. That, in case you can't tell, because it's really not very good, those are grapes and those are grapes. Grapes and Jonathan. They're my paintings. I painted them. Um, as I was painting these, I got to choose several things about these paintings. I chose the colors I was going to use. I chose to write these words in here like this. I chose everything about this. I chose everything, the colors, the, the, the kind of paint, what I was going to do, where I was going to put it, how long I was going to let it dry before I went to the next step, all of that. I, I made decisions. I even get to make some other decisions, what I want it to be. And because I own these, I got to decide what I wanted to do with them. I get to make all of those decisions because I'm the artist. I created them and they are mine. They belong to me. I get to decide where I'm going to hang it, if I'm going to hang it at all. Actually, all three of these were in the attic, not hanging anywhere. They were in a box. I drug them out just for today. I got to make all those decisions because I'm the artist. I created it. That makes me, it gives me some privilege here. Now, I love to create things. Um, and I think it's only right since I'm the maker of these things, it's only right that there are certain things that I get to decide. It's just kind of the natural order of things, the natural law of things. Because I created them, I get to decide some things. I'm not an inventor. But if I were an inventor, or if you are an inventor, the things you invent, as long as you don't sell those off, if you retain them, they are yours. Everything about the invention, if you retain those inventions, they're yours. I've got a few examples of inventions for you. Here's one, a foot-powered bike. No pedals. You just kind of run along the street and look like an idiot. <laughs> Hanging there from that thing. I, I mean, but he invented it. That's exactly what he wanted to do. I have no idea what he's doing with it, but there you go, foot-powered bike. Here's another one. These are actually needed here in Stuttgart. Anytime you order pizza from Little Caesars, you need the pizza scissors. You need those. They don't quite cut through the pizza. So you just cut it yourself. I love the pizza scissors. We have a version of those, but the inventor, he made all the decisions. That's his. Um, here's, uh, here's the next one. I like this. The anti-theft sandwich bag. Seems to work. You're not going to steal that lunch. You're just going to leave it, mold and all. It's all on the bag. Wonderful invention. I think it's great. Uh, let's see. What's the next one? We've got uh, the dog umbrella. There you go. Keep your dog dry. Hold it out this way. Works great, I'm sure. Dog umbrella. 
You can't see it, but there's a man standing back there holding that umbrella over the dog. Great invention. He got to make all this. Here's the next one. The scooter baby stroller. Just scoot right along. Put that baby right there and just take off. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Unless you're not a good, unless you're not good at scooting, then might be a problem. But there you go. Here's the next one. I love this. The baby mop. Why didn't we have that years ago? My floors would be so clean. I think I should buy it now and ask my kids every time they come to visit if they would just crawl around the floor for me. <laughs> Put on a little onesie with a lot of that. I, I, it might be good. But whoever invented that, they get to make decisions about the invention. Can we agree when an inventor invents, he or she gets the privileges and the authority over their invention. When an artist creates, he or she gets certain authority over what they create. And that means this. This morning, if you are seeking God this morning, then it's very possible you have already come to terms with this big issue. God created. God created. God is the only one who is a non-created being that exists. Now, if not, that means something created God. And therefore, that creator has the privileges of being creator. But God was not created. God is the artist of this masterpiece called earth, the universe, the galaxies, life, you and me. God is the creator. And that means God gets certain privileges as the creator, as the inventor, as the artist. God gets the position of ultimate authority. No matter if we recognize it or not, no matter if we admit it or not, no matter if we like it or not, God, as the creator, gets the place of ultimate authority. Now, God used one of the old covenant writers, uh, one of the prophets, to talk about a very small portion of this very thing. And we're going to find that in the book of Isaiah it's in chapter 45, starting with verse 9. Here's what Isaiah wrote. This was God telling him to write this down. Here's what he wrote. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator. You know, let's just think about that. Arguing with the creator. And he goes on. Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Good question. Does, a clay, does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop! You're doing it wrong! Does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? Isaiah is saying, Do we, the created, get to sit in judgment over the Creator? Do we get to say to God, 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 why? God, why didn't you do it this way? God, why did you allow this to happen? You might even say something like, I refuse to believe in a God who would do this or who would not do this or who would allow this. I refuse to believe in a God like that. In other words, we're saying, God, listen, I know better. I know better. No, I know, I know, God, I'm not the most powerful in the world, and I know I'm not the smartest, I'm not the wealthiest, I'm, I don't own Amazon.com. Yeah. I don't know anything about fashion, evidently. So, but, I'm not the creator, but God, I know better. I know better. For the entire human race, today and what has been, our problem with authority started way back here with Adam and Eve. 
I know we talk about this a lot because, well, this is where it all started. Adam and Eve, and I just want to visit this passage very quickly. Adam and Eve in the garden, God created them. And he said, you can eat from all the fruit and the veggies, all the stuff in the garden, except don't eat from this tree, this tree. And here's where we pick up the story. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent, I need to hit pause here. That word serpent can be translated three ways. Number one, serpent. We have it translated here, there. Number two, it can be translated shining one, which is interesting because we know the evil one. We call him by the name of Satan. You heard him referred to as the devil. We know the evil one, according to scripture, was at one time, the angel of light. And one of the ways to interpret that word is shining one. Very interesting. Here's a third way that you can interpret that. Serpent, shining one. The third way is the diviner. Like you've heard of divining rods, trying to find water, stuff like that. The diviner. And this is, uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But there's the three ways to interpret that word. So the serpent or shining one or diviner, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he, this, this serpent, asked the woman. So in this case, let's kind of think of him as the shining one. Something happened for him to get the attention of this woman named Eve. Something happened. So he certainly was in that moment somehow kind of a shining one. The shrewdest of all the one was God made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now think with me here. This is a most power-filled power deception because what he's doing is casting doubt on what God has said. Listen, lady, Eve, you come here often? Eve, listen, can you really, I mean really, can you trust his words, Eve? He's casting doubt on the words. Verse 2, she corrects him. Oh, 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 of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not, we are not allowed to eat. And she goes on. God said, Eve is speaking, you must not eat of it or touch it or you'll die. Now, this is important to note because her view of what God has said has already been twisted because God never, ever, ever said anything about touching the fruit, only eating the fruit. And she said, we'll, we, we can never eat it or touch it or we will die. And here goes the serpent again. Ah, you won't die? The serpent replied to the woman. It's like, get real, lady. Listen, have you not known by now? God's words are lies. They are lies. He is full of deception, this God. He's just trying to manipulate you. You can't trust God or what he says. Do you catch what's going on? He's saying you can't trust God or his words. He's still convincing people of that today. Now I want you to look at what he is getting ready to hint at. He wants her to think that he, the evil one, the serpent, the shining one, the, uh, the diviner, that he knows the very thoughts of God. That's what he's getting ready to try to convince her of, that he knows the thoughts of God. That the evil one himself somehow truly in this moment is going to present himself as this diviner, which his name also means. 
a diviner trying to convince this lady, Eve, that he is able to understand and interpret and read with his mind the very thoughts of God as a diviner. And here's what he says, verse 5. God knows, so he's telling her what God thinks. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God. You're going to know both good and evil. And here's what happened, verse 6. That's all she The woman was convinced. That's all she needed. Hey, she had heard enough, seen enough. She was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious, like a, like a McDonald's cheeseburger. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. The evil one saying, listen, God, you can't trust him. Can't trust what he says. And she's thinking, you know what? I think you're right. God has just used his words to mislead me. I can't trust that kind of authority. I can't trust him to be my authority. So listen, I've decided. I'm going to decide for myself. I'm going to decide on a new authority for me and myself and I. So she took some of the fruit, the verse says. She ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Verse 7, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame, shame at their nakedness. So they went to work trying to fix it. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, here's what I want to say. Adam and Eve, this side of Adam and Eve, that's all of us now, all of human history so far, this side of Adam and Eve. But yet, on this side, we have heaven. So this direction of heaven, this side of Adam and Eve, but this side of heaven, it comes natural for me and for you, for every single person who has existed. It comes natural for us to reject authority because we think we know better. To not submit, it comes natural to not submit to something that we don't, uh, we don't think it makes sense to us. So I'm not going to submit to it. I'm not going to do that. It doesn't make sense to me. Don't eat that tree. I'm not going to do that. It makes no sense. Someone else tells me something that's my authority. It doesn't make, no, I don't have to do that. It doesn't make sense. Young do that. I'm not going to do it. It doesn't make sense. Or if it doesn't align with the way I want things to be, oh, I don't have to do it. Doesn't apply. Y'all do it. Yeah, that's okay. But it doesn't apply to me. It comes natural, this side of Adam and Eve and this side of heaven, for me to decide and you to decide my creator does or does not get to be my ultimate authority. And if it's not, it's because ultimately I know better. It was a problem for Adam and Eve. Thanks, great, 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 great grandpa and grandma. And since then, they have passed it down to every single descendant following them. And now we land from the old covenant to the new covenant. And this is written, a letter that Paul wrote, the apostle Paul, he wrote it to the believers in Rome. And here's what he had to say to them in this letter as he opened it. We're going to start with verse 20, but it's all in chapter 1. He says, for ever since the world was created, so we we already went back there, all the way back to Adam and Eve. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. In other words, they see this amazing miracle called the universe and called earth. They've seen the earth. They've seen the sky. And he goes on. He says, through everything that God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. They can, and he lists some here, that eternal power and that divine nature of God. And Paul said, so because of that, they have no excuse 
for not knowing God. In other words, he's given us enough stuff to say, wow, that we are without excuse for not pursuing our creator. Verse 21, yes, they knew God. Now, by that, he doesn't mean like this saving knowledge. They, they knew that there was something more, something bigger than them out there. They were aware of this. They knew there was something more, something deep inside of them had this craving to somehow connect with something greater than themselves, a purpose greater than themselves, a force somehow greater than themselves, maybe a divine force, but something. And I want you to know that Paul is saying that that desire to connect with something greater than ourselves, God placed that inside of every person. So we are without excuse. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. They refused. They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. In other words, it's just like, God, ridiculous, ridiculous. And he goes on. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. They began to think for themselves. Well, I want a God who, and I'll only believe in God if. I could never believe in a God that allowed. They came up with, here's what I think God should be like. My idea of God. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And they take it to a whole nother level. Because we're going to see that created things became their gods. Nature around them became their gods. Sometimes it was other people around them that they worship, maybe not as a God, but that person got all their attention, got all their focus, got all their love, got all their connection, got all their time. And that's the same thing as worship. They worshiped a person or maybe they began to worship entertainment, what they wanted to do on their downtime, whatever it was that entertained them. And they began to give all their time to that and all their affection to that and all their money to that. And they were worshiping entertainment. Or maybe it was just whatever was filling up their weekends and their calendars. That's what they worshiped. Whatever it was that filled their calendar and got the priority, that's what they worshiped. All the way back then where Paul is talking. And it's no different today. Any of those things I've discussed, any of those things, created things. They would something, make a choice and supremely devote themselves to that. And so do we. And here's what happened. He goes on. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. In other words, when they choose something other than God to worship and pursue, something happens inside their thinking, inside their minds. It gets darker and darker and darker and more confusing and more confusing and more confusing. Verse 22, now claiming to be wise... They instead became utter fools. And they were choosing for themselves who their ultimate authority was going to be. Whether it was a person or whether it was a created thing or whether it was something on their calendar, they made those choices themselves. And they gave their lives to it. Verse 23. And instead of worshiping the glorious 
ever living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And here's the crazy thing about this. God knew this was going to happen. This was not a surprise to God. He wasn't like, oh my word, I didn't see that one coming. They're worshiping a cow. They're worshiping a movie star. They're worshiping a a band. They're worshiping money. No, none of this was a surprise to God. He was well aware, not only that it would happen, he was aware of who would be worshiping who. Before he ever created them, and before he ever created me and ever created you, God already knew what, who, and where you were going to worship. He already knew. And guess what? He created us anyway. He created them anyway. Knowing that they were going to reject God, he still created them. But here's what happened, verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. He was like, okay, you want to be your own boss? You, you want to be your own authority or you want to choose another authority besides me? Okay, I'm going to let you do that. I'm going to let you do it. You, you have that choice. You have that permission. You go ahead, choose. And here's what happened. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. And then Paul jumps in there on his own writing here as God's inspiring him to write this. And he says, amen, brother, amen. Do you get the idea? As Paul is writing this, that the ultimate authority, the ultimate authority is not begging us to submit to his authority. He's not begging us. We either will or we won't. He's not chasing after us saying, oh, please, please, please just accept me. Listen, I got a plan for your life. He's not trying to make himself feel more powerful, like a powerful boss or a power-hungry boss. He's not trying to lord it over us, not trying to force us. He allows us the complete freedom to either recognize him as our ultimate authority or to instead submit to absolutely anything else that we choose in life and to go pursue that and go worship that. He allows it. He gives us the choice. Do you realize God doesn't even feel threatened when we don't choose him? He doesn't feel threatened. His self-esteem is not wounded or hurt because God knows he's the ultimate authority. He's read the end of the story because he wrote it. Can we agree on this? If God is our creator, then we are smaller than God. We are not equal. Our abilities are smaller than God's if he's our creator. Our thinking is smaller and limited compared to God's. Our wisdom is less compared to God. Our knowledge is smaller compared to God. Our understanding and our comprehension is smaller than God's. Now, here's a big point. 
That means this. The limited created, that's me, that's you, that's us. The limited created will never fully understand the unlimited creator. A few chapters later in that very book, that letter that Paul wrote, Romans chapter 11, listen to how he describes this. Paul says, oh, how great are God's riches and his wisdom and his knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways? That's what he's saying. God is bigger than we are. God is God and I'm not. I can't understand. My mind's too little. My thoughts are too small. God is unlimited. Impossible for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Verse 34. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Well, I tell you this, the evil one tries to convince you that he knows, just like he tried to convince Eve that he knows God's thoughts. We say, who can? No one can. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? Well, God, if it were me, this is how ridiculous. He goes on, verse 35, and who has given him? What person ever created has given God so much, so much that God somehow needs to pay him back? Verse 36, for everything, everything comes from him. It's all his. It comes from him and it exists by his power and is intended. Here's the purpose. He gets to choose. He's the creator. He's the inventor. So he gets to choose how it works. It is intended for his glory. And here we go again. He ends it this way. He's just on a roll. And all glory to him forever. And he says, can I get an amen, brother? He knows what he has just spoken has come from God, and he knows it is right. God is the ultimate authority. No matter what I choose for myself, God is the ultimate authority still, even if I reject him, even if I don't claim him as my authority. He is the ultimate authority. But if I persist, in rejecting him. If I insist on choosing my own authority and insist upon choosing something else to worship, God allows me to reject him. He allows me knowing that at the very same time as I'm rejecting him, I must fully accept the results of that rejection because they all fall on me at this moment if I reject him. Because my rejection of God does not take God off of his throne. God does not take his football and go home it does not take him off his throne. We can choose a different authority for our lives. He lets us choose that. God will allow that. But with that choice come a very specific set of consequences of trading his truth for a lie. Regardless of what we decide for ourselves, the creator, the creator, God, he gets the privilege of determining certain decisions and determining uh, things related to how his creation will work best. And he gets to make all those choices because he's creator. And listen, it's been a journey for me. But as for me, I came to the point where I have said, I am okay with that reality. God is the creator, not me. And he gets to decide how his creation works best. So I have come to the place finally in my life where I could say, God, I trust you as my creator. 
I trust you as the creator because you know more, you're bigger, you're infinite. I, you, you, I trust you with my life. You know more about my life than I do. I trust you with my life. God, I trust you with my future. My creator is larger than my life, and he's larger than my understanding of how things I think should work. And here's the truth. I'm so glad that he is bigger than my understanding. I'm so glad he is bigger than, than what I know. Here's our bottom line this morning. The limited creation will never fully understand the unlimited creator. Never will. If we could understand him, well, we would also be unlimited and we would be equal to the creator. So that's never going to happen. We are not. We're not. So it all comes to this this morning. What are we going to do with this truth. Not just today, but this week, as we're living life, what are we going to do with the truth that's right here on the screen? The limited creation will never fully understand the unlimited creator. If we could, we would also be unlimited and equal to the creator, but we are not. So what are we going to do with that this week? And here's my request of you as a next step. I hope you'll consider this. I'm going to ask you, will you read about the results of a creation choosing their own authority other than God? Will you read about that? Because God had Paul write it down and describe it, what it looks like when we choose our own authority other than God. We're not the ultimate authority. Now, here's our tendency. I'm, going to, I'm asking you to read Romans chapter 1, the whole chapter. Don't just power through it. I mean, take in those verses, Romans chapter 1. And here's why. You're going to have the tendency, like I do, to read that and start thinking about the state of our world today. Because it's in there. It's in there. Romans chapter 1. You will see the state of our world today today. The state of the United States today. It's in there. Romans chapter one. We're there. And you're going to have the tendency as you read that to think, okay, man, our war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The state we're, we are screwed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are God. We are, but don't go there. Here's why I want you to read that. I'm asking you to read that for yourself. Where, where is your heart lining up in regards to whom or to whatever you have chosen as your ultimate authority? Read that not for the news, not for what you see on Facebook, not for what you see in, in social media, not for what you see or hear other people talking about, not, none of that. Read that for your own life. And where are you in Romans chapter one based upon what you have chosen for your ultimate authority in your life, what you have submitted to? Because the consequences are there. You're going to read them. If you, if you choose to do this, you will read those consequences. They're there. And where's your heart in this process? And then I'm asking you this. Will you have a conversation with God about what you read? Will you have a conversation with God about your own heart and whether you are going to really submit to him as your ultimate authority and worship him as your ultimate authority or not? Or whether you're going to say, God, no, I choose no. Knowing we're choosing the consequences that go with that. Will you have that conversation with God? Romans chapter 1. And don't read it for someone else. Read it for yourself. You see, we get upset with authority when we don't feel like we can trust authority. 
When we think that authority is just being a big old bossy pants, listen, God's not being bossy because he lets us choose for ourselves. He's not being bossy pants at all. He lets us choose whether or not we will submit to him. But we have trouble trusting authority. But listen, if we can't trust God, our creator, there's no one we can trust. And I believe as we look through the record of what God has provided us in the new covenant, even as we look into the old covenant, but specifically talking about the new covenant, we can learn that we can trust God even when we don't understand God. And we will begin the process of slowly seeing our ultimate authority, who is God, as a loving authority, not a bossy pants, a loving authority. And I want you to know this. If you have a child in the first look, which is the preschool area, this is one of our three things that we teach our preschoolers over the course of the years that they are in first look. And here, this is one of the three, and here it is. I can trust God no matter what. And this morning, I want to say, we need to learn that too. I can trust God no matter what. Let's talk to our Heavenly Father. God, I recognize you as my creator. You are God and I am not. And God, I am grateful that you have ultimate authority because you have ultimate knowledge and ultimate power. And Father, you use that ultimate knowledge and ultimate power with ultimate love. And I'm grateful that I can't understand your ways, Father, because if I could... You would be a very small God. And God, I'm learning to trust you more and more with my life and my future. And even when I don't understand your ways, I'm learning to trust you anyway because you have proven your love for me through Jesus Christ. So, Father, I ask you to give us the wisdom to know, to know what to do with what we have heard. And I ask you to give me the courage to do it, Jesus. Amen.